Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children, children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All-American Sweet Welcome to another edition of the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast. I am Josh, and I'm joined here with Donnie. Hello. And Professor Smoke. What's up? Uh, Will was a little under the weather, so usually he's on assignment, but this time he's actually got a good a good excuse. He's sick, so he's not going to join us this week. But we're going to do our latest horror review, and this uh, normally this is where, you know, here lately we've done, like, a rotation of choices. This time it's a wild card choice. Like, n- none of us in particular picked this one. It was just kind of... Uh, the next one in the series kind of thing. So this helps us get back on the old new rotation, so to speak. So we're all not just picking old movies each time or new movies each time. So to kind of, uh, you know, rotate the rotation, so to speak, we slid in this uh, wild card and we're going to be going back to the series that we started last November, Hellraiser, with Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth from 1992. I guess before we get into the background and all the usual stuff, Donnie, is this the first time you've seen this? This uh, third one, yes. Yes, it is the first time okay. I've seen this one. And Smoke, I know this is not the first time for you, but what's your uh, what's your background with it? Uh, it's not the first time. I, well, my, I guess my initial background was with uh, that, that Fangoria Weekend of Horrors in 1992, and uh, they were presenting previews from it because it was just coming out that year. Uh, so that was my first experience with it. Then I didn't see it in the theater, though. I saw it. I think I went to the Navy. Otherwise, I probably would have saw it in the theater. So at some point, I remember ordering ordering the uh, back of the old tape distribution pirate tapes <laughs> days. It was a uh, I, I got a hold of a work print, and I wish I still had it to see if there was any difference between the scenes in the work print and the scenes in this. Uh, I watched it on the the DVD. So the first time I saw it was on that uh, work print tape which I guess maybe had a few, probably had some scenes that they had, you know, because it had time code, you know how those, those things are, all that on it, and probably some scenes that ended up on the cutting room floor with the with the final print. So then uh, later on, I, I think I rented it on a, the official VHS, and then uh, at that point, that was probably the only times I saw it. So this would be the third time I've seen it, and those, that second time I saw it was still back in the mid-'90s, probably. Now, I don't know how many times I've seen this one. This is at least, I'd say, the third time for sure. Probably more than that, though, because I remember even watching like the, you know, the edited versions of this, you know, back in the uh, mid 90s or so, you know, whenever it would have been playing like on the local stations or whatever. Um, This one always had uh, piqued my interest a little bit more because it was filmed, you know, uh, in North Carolina. Uh, I should say, you know, if you haven't listened to us before, we are all from kind of generally speaking, you know, the, the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Smoke lives down near Columbia, South Carolina. So, 
you get the kind of uh, area that we're from and, and smoke has actually lived up in here up in charlotte uh in the past so we're all kind of from generally the same area so this one was actually filmed uh in various parts of north carolina some right there in charlotte specifically towards the end um that we'll get into when we start talking about the movie but uh, yeah, uh, out at Wake Forest University, High Point, North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, just various locations in Charlotte. So, uh, and it was actually, I'll go ahead and say it now, it was actually filmed September 23rd, 1991 through November 1st of 1991. So that's, um, I would have been, myself, I would have been about 11 years old when this was being filmed, uh, right up the street from where I live. So this one's always yeah. piqued my interest a little bit more than some of the other Hellraiser films just for that, you know, that, well, I knew that some of these things were from, you know, around the area that I lived in. So, um, but yeah, I, I've seen this one a number of times, but we'll get into our thoughts and everything, um, here shortly. But before we go any deeper, I'll go ahead and throw out some of the usual information. Uh, you can contact us at all American spook show at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, slasher app, TikTok by searching for all American spook show. Um, of course we have our T public page where we have the logo merchandise and other cool designs, our YouTube page, where we have uh, Deadline Horror News every Wednesday night live at 9 p.m. East over there. And we have Patreon, patreon.com slash show where you can get bonus content like uh, early access to these episodes, video minisodes every Tuesday, including Library of the Professor, Crafter Peace Theater, Spook Show Rewinds, all kinds of cool bonus stuff over there. Um, all the things that I just talked about, there's a link tree down in the show notes below this episode, wherever you got this one. Click on that and it should give you a link to all these things and more that we just talked about so i guess without uh, any further build-up we'll go ahead and toss to the trailer so we can get into it for hellraiser 3 hell on earth in hellraiser 1 clive barker showed you his vision of a private hell in hellraiser 2 he took you on a journey inside the inferno Terror returns in mankind's final confrontation with evil. And this time, it's going to be Hell on Earth. Great club. I really love it here. It's a great club. Not quite. Just give me the box. Ready for your close-up? presents Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Alright, so there's the trailer for Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. I guess we can go ahead and start getting into the background just so we can, because there's more to, I think we'll have a little bit more fun on the discussion side of things on this one. 
Yeah. Um, cause this is, this kind of lends itself to that kind of, uh, deal, but it was released May of 1992 at the Dylan dog horror fest. That's where it, it made its debut, but it wasn't actually released here in the United States until September 11th, 1992. So, uh, we're as the recording, as of the recording of this. And of course, as uh, we alluded to when we did the, uh, Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. We talked a little about about that smoke. How you went to the very first Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, and uh, they were talking about this movie coming out then. So, like, I guess technically that was thirty years to the day. Yeah. And, yep. Around uh, around that time, and that's when it made its debut at Dylan Dog Horror Fest too. Was that same month? So, literally thirty years ago, almost to the day here that we're talking about when this thing actually per- people would have first seen it. And then, of course, like I said, it actually got released wide September eleventh, which is a uh, uh, yikes, you know, <laughs> uh, fast forward, what, uh, nine, oh no. Yeah. Nine years later. Youth. <laughs> but you know, who, who, who knew that? Right. Uh, unfortunate timing. Um, I mean, talk release date and everything. I think was it, there was a little bit, there was a story about universal supposedly picking this up and they were going to release it around Halloween. And I, I forget if it was Halloween 91, maybe they wanted it done by that time. Mm-hmm. Whatever case that, uh, Universal pulled out of it, and then Dimension Films took over it, and that was the first, I believe, release for Dimension Films. Can you imagine, like, you know, having Pinhead as a Universal monster? I mean, would he? <laughs> I mean, I guess de facto, but... And boy, if, if that was true, and they were trying to get this out by... That would have been a tight turnaround based on what we just said. I mean, this thing was filmed... Like around that time period, ninety one. Now, granted, I'm sure you're talking about the early concept periods of like, hey, let's try to get this out at that point. But yeah, either yeah, way. Yeah, I might have to check that date because it came out. You said it came out September ninety two. Yeah, September, yeah, that's when it came. September eleventh, ninety two. But it was filmed the previous year. It was filmed in ninety one. So, boy, that would have been a tight, tight turnaround. Yeah, uh, yeah to, like that may may have very well have been that they had a earlier production schedule. And whatever whatever reason fell through with Universal, then yeah. they just maybe put it back. Probably because I want to say uh, now we've already done Hellraiser too. Now you know if you want to go back and uh, listen to that, that was uh, what episode was that, Donnie? That was a couple months ago. Yeah, that was back episode ninety seven. Yeah, that came out at the uh, end of February, literally February twenty eighth, the last day of February, when that one released. So if you want to go back and uh, listen to some of that there, but that one came out in eighty eight, if I'm not mistaken, right? So that would have been, I mean, that time-wise, that probably would have jived with what you're saying, Smoke. You know, maybe after that one, they were like, yeah, let's let's try to get this, uh, you know, Universal might involve to try to get the, and been involved to get that out by 91. But, you well, know. Also, initially, too, to tie into that, and this is probably another reason why it got pushed back, was the, they initially had Tony Randall, who directed the second movie, to direct the third one, but his script was apparently too bleak for the producers. Yep. So they kind of scrapped. I mean, I think they, they still did kind of use the story, but it was rewritten. Uh, and then, and then beyond that, they wanted to get uh Peter Jackson to direct it <laughs> and wow. he turned him down because he didn't think he would be able to deliver the movie they wanted because he, he was just, you know, he would have, he said he, I mean, I quote, he said that he wanted to, uh, he'd rather, if he was going to do one of the Hellraiser movies, He'd have ten heads, you know, smashed to the wall with the pins in them and everything. And I mean, it would be a very comedic thing. And it, it yeah. just wasn't—it just wasn't the movie for him, so he turned them down. I will say on our on our little journey here through the Hellraiser series, you know, we've watched the first two already, leading up to this. This one definitely felt different than those two movies. You know, not to get too deep into it, I'm sure we will, but yeah. this felt different than those. Like, this felt more the traditional type of horror that was coming out around the time, as opposed to how those other two movies were. You know. 
definitely weird, but a little less weird, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. And it might be because they didn't have as much of Clive Barker and, and again, Tony Randall, who wrote the second movie as well. Mm-hmm. It probably, probably because of them rewriting his script. And I, I don't know what, to what extent Clive Barker was involved with it, but I don't think it was very much other than promoting it. Yeah. Or yeah, just a producer credit, but it was at any rate, it released September 11th, 1992 here in the U S by dimension films, fifth Avenue entertainment, Nostradamus Pictures Inc. and distributed by Miramax Films. Of course, this is it's not Hellraiser if it's not rated R. And the total runtime is one hour and thirty seven minutes. Uh best I can tell it had a budget estimated budget of around five million dollars, and the worldwide gross was not very impressive, twelve and a half million, although I'm sure they made money, but still not nothing to uh, you know, jump around and get crazy about. So it was released the week, you know, September eleventh. So I've got the domestic here in the U.S. box office for that weekend. And uh, I'll, I'll quickly run down the top ten. Number ten, A League of Their Own. Number nine, Sister Act. <laughs> so these are some of Donnie's favorite movies. Um, yeah. Number eight, Death Becomes Her. Number seven, Pet Cemetery 2. So I'm, one I'm sure we will get to eventually here on The Spook Show. Number six, one we probably will never get to here on The Spook Show, Wind. Never even fucking heard of that. Number five, single white female. Number four, Unforgiven. You know the classic. Uh, that was what Clint, was that not Clint Eastwood's last western or one of his last westerns? I think it was his last western, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Number three in its debut in the box office that weekend, Hellraiser three, Hell on Earth. So it opened up at number three that week with three point two million dollars. All downhill basically from there, but still not bad. Number two, Honeymoon in Vegas. And number one, Sneakers. Well, that was the big debut that weekend. So, yeah, it's always interesting, you know, to every once in a while we uh, like to throw that out. By the way, Batman Returns was still in the box office, you know, still playing at theaters. At that time, it was in its 13th week. It didn't crack the top 10, but that's that was one of the ones that it was uh, running up against at that time. So, 1992, there you go, a little, little brief snapshot of what was going on in the fall of 92. Before we get into the, uh, you know, the... the the background as far as the producers, directors, all that type of stuff. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add real quick in between here while we, before we get that? Yeah. Um, so I, one thing I did just kind of find that this is actually the first Hellraiser film where they, uh, they refer to, you know, the character as Penhead. Yeah. We were talking, we were talking offline about that. Like, yeah, I don't remember them outright saying it. Now, do you, do we even recall if they even credited it? as such and like at least the second one because i know at first i believe in the first one for sure it just said lead cenobite it didn't it didn't say pinhead and and we were wondering whether they did in the second one or not i don't think they did i don't know if they did yeah Um, but this is definitely for for sure the first time they ever said the words you know you mentioned uh as far as what else was going on in 1992 uh another thing uh they said uh one one thing i did find was uh that both Hellraiser 3 and Children of the Corn 2, uh, the final sacrifice, were shot back-to-back using the same exact crew uh, to save money. Huh. That was interesting. Yeah. You hear Children that's... of the Corn is something we haven't haven't yet got to yet. No, nah, but that's that's kind of become its own series, too, right? There's, a, there's good Lord, I don't know how many of those there. There's probably a ton more of those than you think there is. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's, like, it's like the first one's halfway decent and it's downhill from there. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I think as we go along here and we'll get to our thoughts on Hellraiser 3, I think I have a feeling that it's downhill from here. I don't know. 
on these Hellraiser movies, so we'll find out. All right, so anyway, so for uh, Hellraiser 3, the background, it was directed by Anthony Hickox, who would be best known for Waxwork, director of Prince Valiant, uh, Knife Edge back in 2009. Um, didn't you name a couple others, Smoke, that we were talking about earlier? Oh, Sundown, The Vampire and Retreat. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that was the one. You mentioned the sequel to Waxwork, right? You already mentioned the sequel? Yeah, 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 you're right. And, and he directed Waxwork 2, Lost in Time, yeah. So at the time and, you know, in hindsight, you know, pretty good little resume of work there. Before we move on from that point, uh, I know Clive Barker initially wasn't too happy with the choice of Anthony Hickox because uh, he thought that he had to, you know, most of his movies he'd done before this had a lot of humor in it. And I guess he had a little sit down with him and said, uh, this movie is going to be a, it needs to be a serious tone, you know, no, none of the comedy horror aspects. And I guess some of that latched on, but some didn't. Yeah. <laughs> there's a little, there's some scenes that we'll get to when we get to that are kind yeah. of, you know, there's definitely, whether, whether they were intentionally laughable or not, but ended up being that way. Yeah. There's definitely more in this than there, there certainly was in those first two. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Um, but the writing credits are, uh, Original story by Peter Atkins and Tony Randall, based on the characters created by Clive Barker. And we took a deep dive on Clive Barker uh, right after we did the first one last November. I don't remember the uh, episode number right away, but if you want to go back in the archives and dig around, you'll see uh, late last year we did... Okay, I've got it here. Episode 81 was Hellraiser, and then episode 82 was the Spook Show Spotlight on Clive Barker. So if you want to hear the deep dive on, on the first movie and on him, that's where you'll find it. But this movie was written by Peter Atkins, who, like I said, this was original story based on all, based on an original story by him and Clive Barker and, and uh, Tony Randall anyway. So, you know, similar involvement. So you kind of get, I guess the, the difference here is the director, right? You know, so you're getting a different flavor. That's, that's where you're getting it from and probably why it, it kind of turned out the way it did. We have Kevin Bernhardt as J.P. Monroe. We have Lawrence Mortorf. What a name. That's bum. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Farrell as Joey Summerskill. Ken Carpenter plays the role of Doc slash Camerahead. They actually have that on the uh, <laughs> yeah. on the uh, credits there. Okay. Paula Marshall is Terry. I can't really see. I don't really see anybody. Well, Anthony Hickox actually has a small role in the movie as well as Soldier Number Two. Yeah, but, the bum was also uh, one of the producers. Okay, well there you go. Yeah. And uh, of course, the 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 biggest returning one here is Doug Bradley as as. Pinhead slash Elliot. Ashley Lawrence is in it again, but it's, you know, to say that she's a star or anything of this movie is really reaching. I mean, she's, it's basically just a archive footage type of, uh, or they may, maybe they shot it uh, brand new for this, but either way, she was not a major character in this. It's just like, oh, by the way, that this shit happened to this person and she was in a mental hospital. And then they play a little bit of tape of Kirsty, you know, from the first two movies of her, uh, I'm telling you, this pinhead guy's real. You know, <laughs> that's basically the whole scene. Really, that's all I had as far as background stuff. I mean, did you guys want to point anything else out before we, uh, uh, before I like describe the movie and then we get into the roundtable discussion? Uh, well, I had one thing too here about the uh, talking about the cast. That I don't think you didn't mention Zach. Did you, Zach Galligan? I know I didn't see him on there. No, I didn't. Really, no, no. he, he's not credited. I don't know if he's credited on IMDb or not. Or if he's even credited. He is. It's, yeah. uh, well, he's uncredited, but he is listed under there. Hmm. Yeah, he was the star, of course, of Waxwork 1 and 2, also star of Gremlins. But, yeah. And Gremlins 2. But, uh, you know, I'm sure Anthony Hickox had him in here because of, you know, his, his involvement with the Waxwork movies. And uh, he's just a real small cameo inside the Boiler Room Club. He At the scene when Pinhead emerges, so to speak, and starts all the carnage inside the club, 
he takes a pool cue through the stomach you know, that thing and uh so it was just an obvious reference or just you know hey you want to be a cameo in, my, in you know hellraiser 3 type thing so threw him in there you would have even noticed i didn't even notice until like, i i didn't see it until doing the research on the movie that he had, or realized he was even in it also i guess we should mention before we get into it uh the soundtrack oh yeah motorhead let's see i'm just running down the list of like that's on the soundtrack electric love hogs <laughs> armored saint triumph kmfdm house of lords chainsaw kittens uh any any tidbits on the soundtrack we got here smoke oh yeah of course that motorhead song which uh you know if anybody's talking about the soundtrack that's probably the one that pops first in their head and the only place it's played is in the end credits yeah an awesome end credit. we've had a little in go you know in joke going with credit sequences oh that's an awesome credit sequence <laughs> yeah well, that was definitely an awesome in credit sequence. Not because there was some cool opticals going on, but because of that Motorhead song. Yeah, yeah. And I remember back in the day when this came out, there was an MTV video, which, which they did. You know, you know how they used to do where they would promote the movie with little clips from the movie, and then there'd be the band playing, edited yeah, in, yeah. place. So that kind of movie tie-in promo thing. So yeah, they had a movie. They had one of those for this for that music video. Also, that song Hellraiser was you know written by. Well, the music, I guess, was written by either Zach Wilde and Ozzy Osbourne. And Ozzy would like, as he used to do, I don't know if you ever read any interviews when he's talking about the way he would record certain songs. Uh, sometimes he would come up with a, with a, a rhythm or a melody, so to speak, and he would just blurt out like nonsense words because he would, you know, he would have the, the flow or the rhythm of the song that he wanted it to sound like, but he didn't know, he didn't necessarily write all the lyrics. So Lemmy actually wrote the lyrics to Hellraiser and he just, you know, Ozzy just sent him this tape of him, you know, doing nonsense words to the way he wanted the rhythm to go mm. and let wrote the lyrics to it. And the lyrics of course have zero to do with the movie Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah. It's really just about, you know, being on the road party and being a Hellraiser when you're on tour and yeah. never wanting to stop type. So nothing to do lyrics. with, yeah, but, nothing I mean, to do with Cenobites or Pinhead. Yeah. Nothing at all to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just, it came out at the time, you know, I think the Aussie track came out first on his, uh, no more tours. I mean, no more tours, <laughs> yeah. no more tears album, no more tours tour that he did on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the No More Tears album, 1991, I believe that was released, and then Lemmy recorded it with Motorhead the following year for March or Die. It came out that album came out in 1992, and then of course they used he released it as a single, and they used it in this movie and made a video and all that stuff. So, so that's kind of the history of that. It was a song written by Lemmy for Ozzy, as far as the lyrics go, and you know music by Zach Wilde in Ozzy Osbourne's band at the time. And then another band who's in the actual movie performing in the uh, boiler room the first time you're introduced into the boiler room club uh they pan over and there's a band playing in there and that's veteran metal band armored saint performing the song hanging judge off of the i guess their newest album at that time which i believe came out in 1991 was symbols of salvation i want to say you definitely can't miss that one like they're the only band they're the only band of the soundtrack that actually appears in the movie and instantly i'm like holy shit it's armored saint i'd completely forgot about that Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool club because I mean you got you got you got the scene you got Armored Saint who's just like a straight up traditional metal band, and then the next scene you got KMFDM, which is like an industrial industrial dance you know outfit like you would expect to kind of see in that club because that club was kind of set up like some sort of industrial goth club a little bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It definitely had a varied soundtrack, but. So, solid soundtrack, and de- definitely of the time. You know, it, you, it's as simple as that. It's a time capsule type of soundtrack. Mr. Projectionist, stop the show. Here's great news you ought to know. We've just got a shipment of taste-thrilled treats, all tip-top quality and delicious eats. There are hot dogs and popcorn and candy galore. There are soft drinks and coffee and a whole lot more. 
So direct your steps to our refreshment stand to enjoy the finest snacks in all the land. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I just went in and typed in Hellraiser to see what would pop up. Right out the gate, you get one called Hellraiser the Toll by Mark Allen Miller. That one is uh, just an hour and a half long, but uh, I don't know the ins and outs of this, but it's, it's got a picture of, of the limit configuration on it. Okay, so it looks like 30 years after Kirsty escaped from the clutches of Pinhead. Uh, blah 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 so i guess it's some like kind of a little bit of a 30 years later type of sequel so that that could be an, an interesting listen to over on audible a <laughs> couple of different things here just not all definitely definitely not tied to hellraiser itself but churchill's hellraisers <laughs> the secret mission to storm a forbidden nazi <laughs> fortress by damian lewis that one's over 12 hours long and then one last one hollywood hellraisers the Wild Lives and Fast Times of Marlon Brando, Dennis Hopper, Warren Beatty, and Jack Nicholson by Robert Sellers. So, uh, not sounds like, a, sounds like a winner, right? Yeah. <laughs> not not tied to Pinhead at all. Once again, but interesting nonetheless. So, and that one's a little over fourteen hours. Might show up and pull them into hell or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's the twit. You just gave it spoiler alert, man. When you when you say that kind of thing. Um, but anyways, if any of that stuff sounds interesting to you, you can go over to audibletrial.com/spookshow again. That's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audio book. So I'm going to just switch on over to IMDb. You know, this is kind of our new little bit now to, instead of going through the blow by blow of the movie, I just kind of read a brief plot summary that people, random people put up on IMDb. So we've got a couple here. And now the simple synopsis is an investigative reporter must send the newly unbound pinhead and his legions back to hell. I mean, that's, the simple sentence synopsis or summary, yeah. right? But a little bit, you know, deeper in, we've got the first one here by uh, posted by Ed Sutton over on IMDb. Pinhead is stuck in a block after the big confrontation in Hellbound. The block containing Pinhead and the puzzle cube is bought by a young playboy as a sculpture. Pinhead busies himself escaping by getting the playboy to lure victims to his presence so he can use their blood. Once free, he seeks to destroy the puzzle cube so he need never to return to hell. But a female reporter is investigating the grisly murders and stands in his way. And uh, one that's a little bit longer. This will be the last one I read here. Hell is about to be unleashed again. This, by the way, this is just posted by Will. Not our Will. <laughs> I doubt he would take the time to write a plot summary and post it to IMDb. But it's just posted by Will. Uh, hell is about to be unleashed again. Reporter Joey Summerskill slowly begins to learn about the mysterious puzzle box, the unbearable pain opening it can bring, and Pinhead, the Black Pope of Hell. After viewing a young teenage clubgoer get ripped apart by the box's chains in an ER room, she tracks the box and a young woman named Terry down to a famous club called the Boiler Room, owned by the spoiled playboy JP, who feeds Pinhead trapped in a marble pillar blood from club members so he can escape from his prison. As time runs out, Joey must think of a way to bring Pinhead and his newly created Cenobites back to the realm of Pinhead's human self or succumb to an eternity of pain and suffering. <laughs> so I think, all, but you know, you can kind of put all the puzzle pieces together there with those, uh, those summaries. So Donnie, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm going to begin with you. What's your first observation or, or what the fuck or what, what you got here, man? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, where do we start? Uh, start at the beginning or, like, just the overall? I, yeah. 
I'd say start at the beginning there. I mean, we'll get to the yeah, end. I mean, you know, you know I guess we'll, we'll kind of maybe not blow by blow, but, you know, just like the, you know, you, you see the familiar chains in it, like in this hospital or like, you know, the, he's, um, yeah. you know, the guy's coming in on the, uh, the gurney or whatever. Um, and you see the familiar, you know, black chains follow him. And of course they didn't try to remove him or anything. They're no, just like, no. yeah, just drag him in there with him. <laughs> So, uh, uh, hold on. That's why I'm like, what kind of hospital is this? Exactly. Like, what the fuck? It's one of those weird, like, of the time that this wasn't the only kind of movie that did that with the hospitals and stuff, too. Like, it reminds me of, like, uh, you know, some of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies or something like that, where there's, like, these Mm. weird hospitals where there's not really that many people there and the people that work there don't seem to give a fuck. You know, or they do their, or they do their jobs haphazardly. Like <laughs> all hospitals yeah. are super fucking creepy and gross. Like I, you know, like it, the, uh, like our first episode, I think was it like the university hospital and reanimator. <laughs> <laughs> not, not yeah. quite to that extreme, but yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that was, uh, and, and I, and I'll say like, they, they kind of pull you in pretty quick though, you know, with like the way this one sets up. And, uh, of course it's just like the the previous movie where there is a bit, and although it's not to the extreme, but there's a bit later on where it's a, a kind of a recap of what's led us to this point. <laughs> there's the montage of old footage from the first couple movies. <laughs> like they do that again in this one. Although it wasn't as bad as the second one, right? Where there's like a full on, like <laughs> here's how we got here for five minutes. You know, it's more of like a couple minutes of explaining, you know, all right, what the hell's going on. But uh, I'll say this one's a lot less weird um, it seems like they, they, they dive a little less, I think, into the pleasure, you know, mm-hmm. cause th- that's a big theme, right? Of it's the, a little bit. F- they, they do. It's there. It's you know, there. I just yeah. mean, it just feels like it's less of it. And, and they don't really get to it until a little bit later on once Pinhead is, you know, unleashed. But at least my, my next question is like, cause they say this a little bit later on was like, what the hell is forbidden pleasures? Like where, what do you really draw from that when they say that? Like, I'm going well, to I mean, show you forbidden pleasures. Like, what are they doing? Like, having well, sex while they movie, cut each other and shit? Like, what is this? Yeah, I mean... This you movie's know, just missing that piece. Like, uh, what's his name from the first movie? Frank? I mean, yeah, Frank. You, don't the, you don't have the sadomasochistic character in this movie like you did in that one. Who, they were seeking out this stuff. You know, like, what's his name? JP isn't necessarily... He isn't seeking it out. He's trying to, you know, better... You know, he, he thinks he's getting something mm-hmm. better deal or whatever. But yeah, no. you don't have that that sadomasochistic angle that the first two movies had, I guess that you don't have. Those. It's there, but it's not as prevalent. Even yeah. It's not as prevalent. They, they don't really lean into it as hard. It's just there, but he just goes around talking about forbidden pleasures, but like, what the hell does that mean? Like, all right, well that means I'm going <laughs> to jerk your skin off. And then, then he's just going to go in the corner and play with himself while that happens. Like what, what are they, what's going on here? Like really any of this stuff? Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know how to complete that that sentence. That, well, I mean, no, but yeah, there, there's nowhere to go with it. I'm just asking, what the fuck? It's real. It's more of a rhetorical comment, really. Like, yeah, I think we all agree what the fuck, and then we move on, I guess. But <laughs> now, when um, you know, kind of going back to the hospital, uh, you know, like, and you know, the guy's head just explodes. Like, yeah, the like his yeah. his head completely explodes and then she stumbles out of the room and then when she swings the doors open to stumble out of the room you see his body laying i noticed with his head intact 
I know oh, yeah. that like when the door swings back and like closes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you see the dude's head. Also in that same scene, I love how like the dude's head just fucking blows up. He's, yeah. he's dead. There's no question. This fucker's dead. Meanwhile, they cut, they still cut over to the hot monitor, the yeah. heart monitor. Like, Beep, 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 beep. Like, yeah, like, is that necessary? Yeah. Like, the dude's head just exploded. We know he's dead. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's coming back. Get the, get the, you know, the, the what you call it, out the little. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. I think he's coming back. He's got a pulse. <laughs> I won't ever give up. He's still got a chance. <laughs> uh, Sir Joey's head is dead. Or, uh, you know, it just exploded. He's dead. And then she stumbles out. No, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> so really i guess you, you you can pretty much jump straight to the uh a little bit later on uh with the boiler room club the big killing spree where pinhead is now like in the real world they've let him loose and he just goes into a fucking massacre like of, of you know that's smoke would you say that's probably the goriest scene right like that whole thing where he just goes in and just basically kills a hundred people in the club I think it's definitely got the most prolonged amount of kills in it. I thought the head explosion was pretty good and gory, you know, it's pretty, you know, because the head yeah, explosion, yeah. if it's done right, you know, it's not the best head explosion because my uh, my criteria for that would be like William Lustig's Maniac, you know, or or, or Scanners, something like that, you know. Oh, but wait, it was no, no you're, for, you're forgetting. Uh, you're forgetting Chopping Mall. Chopping Mall is great. I mean, there's a lot of good head explosions. Deadly Friends. Mm-hmm. The Dawn of the Dead was a good shotgun. Well, there's a common denominator in some of those. Tom Savini is good <laughs> True, at doing yeah. head. He's done a couple of those you just mentioned for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, the club scene has probably got the most prolonged, or the most you know, amount of kills in it. He just goes in there, carnage, just launching chains into people, the making things turn into bad digital optical effects, <laughs> shards. <laughs> Going through yeah. people's eyes, you know, impaling two people at once with a chain. I think that happened in there. And then the, the, the aforementioned Zach Galligan death, you know, with the pool cue through the stomach. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, just a bunch of carnage happening at one time. Oh, so much so, yeah. that, so much so that they just stopped showing it, and then they just show a door with blood coming out from underneath it. Like, for a really yeah. long time. Like, well, you get the idea. There's a lot of bad shit going on. So we're just going to stop showing you this, and it's just... Then there's just the bottom of a door and blood pouring onto the floor. <laughs> so my, my next question was, so after this whole club killing spree scene, there's like Joey gets a call or no, no, she sees it on the news or something, right? Oh shit. There's a, there, there was a killing spree down there. And then she calls her friend, you know, the photographer doc, Hey, come on, yeah. meet me down there. And we're going to, you know, shoot this story or whatever the fuck. So she goes down there and pretty much immediately, pretty much puts together real fast that doc is dead. So then she walks into that, she walks up to the club, sees that there's bodies laying like right at the door and then walks in there. Like, no, wouldn't you just I turn mean, your ass around and call the cops? Why the fuck would you walk into that? <laughs> nope, like, I'm going there's there. 150 the is, corpses mutilated all over the place. <laughs> now I will say this. Now I cannot, this was the dumbest fucking thing to me. Like whenever she is, first of all, her acting is fucking shit. Mm, yeah, but yeah. but uh, I've seen uh, worse, but I've seen a lot better too. So yeah. Oh man, no, it's yeah. it's 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 bad. You're shit. right. It's bad. It's bad. Yeah. But uh, uh, no, she she doesn't run with any sense of urgency at all. She doesn't do anything with. <laughs> you any mean when sense she's running away? She, like like when she or? was dodging, like whatever the hell that was, a, was it, like a manhole lid or something. <laughs> yeah, and it was like she was just like. 
Oh yeah, and I love that. Out. Like, like she's looking at it like, what is that? Ooh, and it's like Captain America's shield goes oh, right God. over her yeah. head. You know, like <laughs> it was just, it was just so bad. It was so bad. It, I was just like, oh, that's a whole thing. That's a whole mini discussion thing of, of itself. The whole running down the street chaos. Like it was just. I mean, she's just kind of half jogging. But it's way like, too what, much, what and it's too it's too much, and it's too long. Like. This goes on way too long. Like she, she yep. it's probably ten or fifteen minutes of her just ah, running away down the street, and then all of a sudden, some of the what three or four of the well, no, three people that he killed in the club, including her friend Doc, uh, are turned into Cenobites, and they're just kind of slowly meandering down the street, and they all do different yep. things. That's right. That's the key. That's the whole key of that scene. I think they just. They drug that scene out so that you could get all the Cenobite action, the new, the yeah. new and one crappy one. But yeah, Cenobite. no, you don't get the somewhat cool kind of like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on, Cenobites from the first two, right? No, you get these weird knockoff, like he just made them in the club, Cenobites. How about the JP Cenobite that has the pistons like fucking them in the head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was that device? What the fuck I don't was that? Know, man, like it, it was just yeah. It doesn't. Well, he makes makes some reference to it, doesn't he? To like, to some some kind of sexual innuendo reference to it. So maybe because, it's one know, of maybe it's one of those like penis pump type things or something like uh, a machine with the. <laughs> well, that no I can tell you that much. That whole rod thing is probably a direct reference. You know how the '90s had like for like cyberpunk and as mm. we're talking about Tetsuo, even that that didn't oh, come out. Yeah, yeah. But, but there was this whole gothic the club, gothic industrial. Even the Cenobites reminded me of something you might see. These new Cenobites reminded me of something you might see out of a Skinny Puppy or Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, like you know, the S and M type stuff, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The made up, the brand new and not improved Cenobites, though. The the guy that gets killed with the he's the DJ or whatever. So he's got now he's got D, uh, CD stuck <laughs> in his head. That and is then, the dumbest. And then shit. He, that and, is and like... then they pull kind of like the RoboCop thing where he says. And then just pulls a CD out of like the slot in his stomach, and then huh, just hooks him. Phantasm. He just he just yeah. he's just hucking them at people. Like like throwing stars, kind of like Cenobite ninja. Yeah. Oh, and then the and then the fat barbed wire guy, like he's got barbed wire wrapped around his head, but for some reason he shoots flame out of his mouth. Like yeah, they just <laughs> yeah, it's like. You know, that's what happened to the leftover uh, AOL CDRs. Yeah, and then the girl, uh, I believe her name was Terry, right? That Joey kind of, mm-hmm. like, takes in and, like, she lives in her apartment for a little bit. But then she gets killed and becomes a Cenobite. Her power is basically that she can smoke out of her throat. Like, what? Like, <laughs> they, they just do, like... The, that's straight out of Beetlejuice, yeah. man. <laughs> they just do this bit where, like, her, her, her throat is kind of flayed open on display yeah. and then like she's just got a cigarette stuck in the middle of it the dumbest shit then- they, they're just like very crappy knockoffs of some of the others like the barbed wire one reminds me of butterball i think his name was from mm-hmm. the first movie mm-hmm. you know the yeah the, the yeah the name was they had the glasses and all yeah he just yeah. kind of reminded me of the version of that and that girl one with the, the throat thing just reminded me i Same. can't remember the name but female Cenobite from the first movie yeah. as well. I think had her throat exposed, right? I think you're right. Yeah, I think it was basically the same thing, except she didn't have a, like a Marlboro stuck in it. She just, yeah. That's the only yeah, difference. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, like I said, her, her photographer friend, Doc, who gets his, I guess he just gets his head chopped off. And then his, his head is basically replaced with the camera. 
So, <laughs> so he yeah, just his head, like they go in that scene and his head like decapitated upside down in his own lap with the camera sticking yeah, up out of the yeah. Yeah, and then fast forward to now he's a Cenobite with his head is the camera, but like his head is wrapped around the camera. He basically looks like uh, the Borg version of Picard. Yeah, the Borg, like a cyborg. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> they just assimilated him into the Borg. <laughs> and then he just shoots. The, what did he? I don't even remember what he shot. Like he shot bullets or lasers or some shit out of the camera. I don't remember what he did, but it was goofy. And then there's that one scene where he used the actual zoom lens of his camera eye to like punch a hole through one of the. Yeah, I think it was one of the street, street pedestrians heads yeah. or something. That, yeah, that was one other random thing there. Like, new this is New York. They they go out of their way to say this is New York, even though we know it was in mm-hmm. parts of North Carolina. But they go out of their way to say New York, huh? New York. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's all... nobody in the fucking streets. <laughs> like nobody. There's yeah. mass chaos. Fucking cars exploding. The that they slaughtered. That was the only people on the street. <laughs> the, the, the amount of people they needed for that scene was it. Speaking of the street, I sent you guys a, a, a screenshot when I just happened to notice when she's slowly running down the street from these random Cenobites. Yeah. One, one of the, uh, and I'll post that picture to our social so everybody else can see it. If you've never catched, you know, never caught it when you watch this or didn't catch it this time around. One of the storefronts there on the, on that street, it was called Elm Street Cafe. You see, Hell yeah. you see yeah. it really fast too. Like I just happened to notice it. Like as she's meandering down the street, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I had to rewind it and look. Sure enough, Helm, Elm street cafe as it like blows up or whatever. But yeah. I, yeah obviously not. Yeah. One thing uh, I did notice though, while we're on that, you know, subject of little Easter egg things or whatever was the scene where he said, uh, Joey, the reporter called a uh, doc mm-hmm. and he had, TV on, and then she's like, "Turn it to channel twelve or whatever." And you know, she was seeing something, but he wasn't seeing it because yeah. it was Pinhead. So, Pen, Pinhead's clearly trying to get her there. Yeah, and then he had the TV on, but it was on a scene from Waxwork too. And then, and then Anthony Hickox's name pops up on the TV. So it's directed by Anthony Hickox. So oh, okay. Had his own name in there as a uh, you know, Easter egg, I guess. So a little heavy-handed there, uh, Anthony Hickox with the <laughs> with the references, and so not with the Zach Galligan and all. And basically him. He's in the movie and all these other little things you've pointed out. Yeah. A little heavy. But remember, Clive Barker said, we're not going to have any funny business in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that backfired. He, maybe he wasn't there that day. They decided to put Elm Street Cafe on the street. You know, when they, <laughs> I guess by that point in the, in the shoot, you're like, fuck it. This thing's too far gone. There's a guy walking around with a camera head. There's, there's a CD guy. There's, <laughs> there, there's a fat guy for, that's a flamethrower for some reason. Uh, so I guess really all that's left is what the ending, right? You know, what'd you think of the ending, Donnie? I'm just glad it was over. (laughs) 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 I mean, if we're, we're being honest. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's what we pay you for. We want your honesty. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I was just like, I was just glad it was over. (laughs) No, uh, like it kind of wraps up a little nice and a little too nice and tight for me. You know, it's just kind of like, well, you know, she she figured this out. You know, you do the lament configuration, and then that'll send them all back to hell or whatever. And then, you know what? I fuck mean, this. I'm just going to bury this in this in this really wet cement. Like, not <laughs> like it, it's been there for a while, kind of like solidified. Like this is like water. It's just this gray water, and she just submerges <laughs> the uh, lament configuration box, you know, into into it, and then. <laughs> And then the the box uh, the building that they build the box 
or I guess on becomes like a, a bank building that has the same designs all over the walls. But that, that little statue that they show at the very mm. end there, that's like a big circle that looks like the side of the box. Yeah. That statue is actually still in uptown Charlotte right now. It's, it's, yeah, I think it's uh, the Wells Fargo building or bank of America. Something I'm not sure. Like Maybe the bank yeah. of America, building. I can't remember exactly where, but um, if I get a chance to go up there and, and, you know, I'll, um, I will take a picture and I'll post it up on the, uh, uh, on our socials. Um, so, you know, not, you know, if you're listening to this and you go search it out, Hey, I don't see it. Maybe I didn't get a chance to go do it, but my intent is to go up there and just get a shot of that because last time I checked, that's still there. So I'm assuming that I'm pretty sure that was already there. Well, before it was they, already there. yeah. Well, yeah. before they made this movie. And then I guess some scout saw it and said, Hey, this looks kind of like that. So they decided to, you know, go with it kind of thing. Yeah. So. Well, it's interesting it definitely though. was not made for this. No, no. It's not something they made for this and then it stayed forever in Uptown Charlotte. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not like the Rocky statue in Philadelphia or something. You know, it's not that important. But but yeah, that, that I'll try to get up By there and way. take a picture of it just so we can kind of prove that, yeah, this does exist and it's still there. So uh, kind of a cool local pull for us. Oh, like you were saying, though, as far as the, uh, the ending, what are you thinking about in the ending of the movie and all that stuff? I, <laughs> I couldn't help but think through most of the movie and especially up through the ending that, I wish they had given it to Tony Randall to do his bleak version of this. <laughs> it probably would have been better. Even though I like Anthony Hickox's other movies, Waxwork and Waxwork 2, especially the first Waxwork and the Sundown movie we talked about. But I think he's better suited for comedy horror than for a straightforward serious horror. You know, you you kind of said something there that, that you know sparked a thought there. You know, if you really think back on this movie, it kind of does feel like two separate movies, doesn't it? Like, it's like you got one kind of movie where like yeah there's pinhead stuff going on but it's like she's trying to figure this out and then all of a sudden the 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 club scene happens and then the movie just really just goes off the rails from that point you know like <laughs> it becomes something yeah. else entirely for the last 30 minutes yeah oh yeah not like that like, like the scene in the church you know and that scene oh, too, yeah. by the way yeah. i don't know if y'all saw that on there that like the uh they apparently had a lot of locals from north carolina and the then the film crew mm-hmm and they took offense to it being shot inside a church, so I think they ended up having to shoot to basically build a set and shoot those scenes on a set. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> so that, support, that doesn't surprise me because obviously that is uh, <laughs> that's touchy <laughs> to do that in a real church. That's touchy. Yeah, in a real church. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they told the the, the actual you know the priest or whoever owned the church or whatever that they were going to do or what they were shooting yeah. or how they were initially able to you know get the church location i yeah. assume they weren't going to blow the stained glass windows out of the real church <laughs> they, and that, on top of that like let's forget what they went in there to shoot let's just take that out of the equation entirely uh sir we're going to yeah. be shooting we'd like to use your church as a uh, movie you know we'd like to see, shoot some scenes in the movie oh what's the no- name of the movie oh it's called <laughs> hellraiser three hell on earth <laughs> how did how did they get in the door just with that <laughs> hell no I don't know. Well, okay, it sounds sounds legit. What are you gonna do? Oh, you know, it's just we're just gonna mock Jesus right here on the altar. You know, <laughs> what the hell, man? <laughs> they must have really thrown a little bit of cash at him or something. I don't know. Either that or they have some kind of hookup. Like you know, that's some old I don't friend know. of mine. I don't know exactly how far it got to the point. I don't even know if it got to the point of them getting of saying what the movie was, and then or if they, or if they just told the crew that. We're gonna shoot this scene, or the crew read the script and like, no, I'm not. We're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not in the real no. Wow. Yeah, that's 
That's funny. All right, so I guess, you know, that's that's about all we've gone back and forth here with old Hellraiser 3. So, uh, um, Donnie, I guess we'll start with you. What's your, uh, what's your star rating? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I kind of went back and forth. I hated the story uh, myself. I, uh, I thought it was just of the, I would say of the, of the three, um, definitely the weakest overall from a, um, now practical effects is always going to bump my rating up always all the time but um, well, well before wait a minute before you continue to your star rating it, it it might be fair since this is kind of a off and on series that we do that i remind you or all of us i should say what we rated the first two okay so yeah. j- just as a you know kind of a uh the mendoza line so to speak uh, <laughs> you know where you where you sit however you want to phrase it yeah. you know if you know baseball hellraiser the first one back in episode 81 you gave that three and a quarter stars Mm-hmm. Um, smoke, just, you know, keep this in your memory banks. You gave it three and a half stars. And so did I, I gave that one three and a half stars. Now, fast forward to when we did, uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser two back in episode 97, Donnie, you gave that one three stars. Uh, smoke, you also gave it three stars. And then I gave that one two and a half stars. With that being said, I didn't mean to interrupt, but just, you know, in the interest of fairness, yeah. just so you remember. Um, yeah. so what you got? Not a fan of this one. Not the worst thing I've ever seen, but uh, just like the the execution, the acting. Was, Jesus Christ! It was just like <laughs> every, it was. It was almost like watching, uh, you know, the acting of uh, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, where it's just like so. Like, it was, anyway, man, at least you didn't say just, Manos, the hands of fate. So we're good. Ugh, we're good. Brutal. I'm sure, which I'm sure we'll get to on uh, no, Crapster you, No, piece. we have to get to that. I don't know. Is that Crapster piece or Colt? I mean, it could be either, right? It could be anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, either way. Either way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, didn't like the story. Uh, but, you know, practical effects, the gore, you know, is basically why, you know, what holds this up for me. Um, I'm going to go two stars even. I think that's being uh, maybe a little bit generous, but uh, practical <laughs> effects is always gonna gonna do it for me. But uh, yeah, two stars. Professor, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much in Donnie's boat with this one. It's uh, I hadn't seen this one like I said since sometime in the mid and late '90s or so, and uh, it didn't grow on me. <laughs> that one. Definitely didn't grow on me. I think I liked it better back then, maybe because I thought I was, you know, I thought this was one of the really good. Well, not really good, but I thought it was in the same boat, at least with the second movie, you know, the first movie is that is what it is. You know, it's the first Hellraiser. It's got that first movie thing, you know, yeah. thing going for it. But yeah, this one I thought was better than what it was <laughs> until I watched it. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, the, you can see, like you're saying, it seems like almost like two movies at some points where you could tell where probably they had script issues where they had started with something and did a bunch of rewrites or whatever. Again, I like Anthony Hickox's other movies much better. Like I think waxwork is a great film. I think second one is decent too. And then, you know, Sundown, I haven't watched Sundown since the 90s, but I thought that at the time, I thought it was an underrated vampire flick from back in the day. And we'll, once we get to that on the show, we'll see if my opinion changes on that too. But, but no, this one, I just don't think he was necessarily the best fit for the Hellraiser franchise. And the gore was good, like Donnie said. I don't know, I'll probably give it two and I might go one above. I'll go two and a quarter. But like most of those stars are for the Motorhead song and then some of the other ones are for the Armored Saints song and... <laughs> <laughs> the rest are for the practical effects. <laughs> well, that that all goes into the stew that makes a movie, you know, uh, give, yeah. gives you some level of enjoyment. So it's not, it's not out of the realm of you know uh, plausibility to say, well, that bumps it up a little bit because it had a decent soundtrack or whatever. So yeah, yeah. Um, what I recommend is that people just go and 
watch the Motorhead video <laughs> and then watch our episode after it airs. Yeah. It comes out. I'm going to, I'm going to mirror your rating. I'm going to go two and a quarter myself. Like, I don't, I don't hate this movie. It's not as good. It's definitely not as good as the first one. And and it's not as good as the second, but there are some redeeming qualities to it, you know, just for this type of fare, you know, like early nineties, uh, well, you wouldn't say this as a slasher, but you get my point, like the mm, early nineties yeah. type of, and it does feel kind of eighties too, right? I know, you know, granted now they filmed it 91, it comes out 92. So you're not far removed from the eighties, but it has a, definitely has a, a feel for the eighties. Like you said, with the practical stuff and all that, mm. um, when they went digital, though, ooh, yikes! Oh yeah, that yeah. that did not age well. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was better in the '80s when they used animation, like drawing on the cell yeah. when they needed to do that. Yeah, stuff was better than the, the so-called optical digital whatever effects oh, they used. Photoscope. Yeah, the time I, period. Absolutely, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's just it's interesting to see those things how they don't. You know, the not a lot of the stuff from the '90s didn't age very well. Some of it does, definitely some of it does, but this wasn't one of them. So, but yeah, I, I think, I think on my scale, as far as just comparing it to the first two and everything, you know, I like this less. Um, I, I give it an extra maybe quarter of a star or so just for, like you said, the soundtrack and that personal connection because it was filmed around the area that I grew up in. So there's a little bit of that, you know, I'll, I'll let a little bit of the bias hang out, so to speak. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're a fan of the Hellraiser series, uh, you know, we'll find out as we go along here, but it's probably, it's probably downhill from here. So <laughs> if you don't like this one, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> hey, this is, this is the last one I've seen since, since whatever number, I can't remember the one that didn't have Doug Bradley in it as Pinhead, maybe one other random one near the end there, but like these ones coming up part four and yeah. however many there were, I don't even remember. I haven't seen pretty much any of the other ones. I think I've seen four, maybe five, and that's it for me. So like, I've seen four. Once we get four. once we get past these, man, this is going to be new territory, and I haven't heard much good about it. So I'm, you know, we we <laughs> we always try to <laughs> we always try to find as many redeeming qualities as we can, you know, because we don't want to completely shit on these movies. But you have a feeling there's there's going to be some shit being flung later this year but all right so before we get into you know what's coming up next we'll tease what uh, our next few episodes are and what we've got planned for the summer and everything i'll go ahead and first toss first to our first little segment connections Yeah, always like to let yep. it finish. Let, let uh, it breathe like a fine wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just gets uh, gets better the longer it goes. That's what she said. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yep. Uh, so I guess the obvious connections here would uh, basically be uh, Doug ba- Doug Bradley uh, from Hellraiser, uh, you know, the first and the second one. Um, that would be on the cast side. Uh, same with uh, Ashley Lawrence, actually, even though she. Uh, um, she had a brief uh, kind of cameo in in this one on that. Um, I guess that uh, I don't want to call it stock tape. But, yeah, I have, uh, to still, I have to wonder if that's like something from the cutting room floor or something yeah, they shot new for this. Something. I don't know, but yeah, it just seems it seems um, like it's old footage. Still, yet yeah, she does appear in this yeah, one, yeah. Uh, and then so that's on the cast side, on the crew side. Uh, Clive Barker, Hellraiser one and two. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 
other than tying it directly to the the spotlight episode we did yeah there were um was it there was a there was another one but it wasn't it was it was paul jones but uh i think he uh he was one of the special effects guys i believe it it tied back to uh malignant and then hellraiser 3 and there was another one i can't quite remember what it was but uh these were um you know i'm sorry it may have just been those two it was uh malignant and hellraiser 3 uh, that was pretty much the only one that uh, tied back to a prior episode. Uh, it was just, you know, on the crew side, um, Clive Barker, you know, he's just, you know, we've just covered more. It's not so much more Hellraiser. Just uh, on him. Just, yeah. yeah. He's, he's got the most connections. Yeah. And that's what we go with, whoever has the most. Obviously, Will is not here to give his kill count or his thoughts, so hopefully we'll get those soon. As soon as he feels uh, up to it, we'll have him. And when he's back on the show, we'll get all that. But... Uh, now we'll just toss it to you, Smoke. Gore score. One thing right out of the gate is this movie was, you know, came out in 1992, and then for a 1992 movie, it's got a decent amount of gore in it. You know, they were cutting down on gore and horror movies about this time, so I don't really know. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was rated R, right? They didn't have like yeah. an uncut. They didn't have like an R-rated print and an uncut version later. No, I, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't recall of another cut, but yeah, this one's rated. It's rated R. Yeah, that's uh. I mean, it's a pretty decent amount for that, and the only thing I can think of the reason for that is is kind of like the first, the second Hellraiser movie also had a lot, but it was uncut. They had an R-rated version that was cut down. Hellraiser being a fantasy horror rather than a slasher movie, because they were really, slashers are the ones they were really coming down on during that time. Because, you know, all the kids, like, cheering on Jason and Freddy or whatever, and <laughs> I guess they thought it was too gruesome to have, you know, they're cheering on the killer, and he splashed up the kids. So they came down on slasher movies as a whole and cut a lot of the gore out, but Hellraiser 3, it's pretty juicy you got a well i got a little break breakdown here so we talked about a little bit of these you know through this podcast but the first thing right off the first gore scene is that head explosion which is pretty decent we again mentioned that it's not the best or you know the goriest head explosion but it was it got the job done the head, yeah nasty. the head explosion is fine it's the follow-up of like you see it back there with yeah. the head still on it that's the <laughs> that's the problem with it and, and it probably could have been a little bit you know, it could have been a little bit bloodier, juicier, so to speak. You know, they didn't yeah. have that look that uh, the, the aforementioned things from earlier, Maniac and and Scanners and Chopping Mall had quite, you know. But it was decent. It was, it was handled well enough. And then you have uh, Pinhead when he comes to life inside the Pillar of Souls, I think it's called. I don't know if they call it Pillar of Souls in the movie, but that's, that's what it similar. was. similar, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know what to call it. I don't know if that's what Clyde Barker named it. I don't think I don't remember them calling it that necessarily in the movie, but anyway, it was. The Pillar of Souls, you know, when, when uh, Pinhead first sort of comes to life inside of it and uh, he pulls that girl's skin off <laughs> in like two seconds, like, you know, like yeah. pulls the skin right off into the into his, into the Pillar of Souls, I guess, or whatever. And then uh, the hooks and chains and consumes her skinless body, basically, like pulling the whole body into it, which that scene kind of reminded me. You remember, I believe it was Friday, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, the Dream Warriors, when Freddy is that snake. And yeah. kind of like, you know, the name was dreaming that he was eating her. Yeah. <laughs> kind of reminded me of that. I mean, when she got pulled whole skinless and whole in you know up into the statue i guess that was pretty good that was pretty gruesome too so then you have the uh wartime carnage during one of the scenes where joey's you know having that dream vision that she would has and she sees doug bradley in his regular human form you know uh there's that war carnage in there which is <laughs> not not handled very realistically so to speak mm. you know you get there's like they're they're hunkered down in the trench and then there's like an arm being thrown over it which i'm not i'm sure stuff like that happened when somebody gets blown up or whatever but it didn't it didn't have the, of course, the impact that something like Saving Private Ryan had, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, it got the job done. There was a little bit of, 
it was like a torso thrown over, but it was like a bad latex torso and it got thrown over on top of him or whatever, you know. But that, but it's gore anyway. And then you have uh, JP gets uh, some, those industrial rods through the head. Starting to see a pinhead who's you know trapped in the statue in the pillar of soul or whatever. At that point, you know, doesn't become the Cenobite yet, but he gets those rods through the hell through the head and is, you know, in one side out the other. So another little gore scene there. And then uh, then we finally see Doug Bradley getting the pins hammered into his head again, which they did in part two, I believe, as well, right? They kinda they, the scene in part two is more elaborate. This time I guess they just kinda cut it down yeah. to where, you know, he's talking about he's narrating to Joey what happened to him, kinda, you know, and you, you don't really see the cuts across the head like you saw with the in part two, you just basically see the hand, the pins getting hammered into them real yeah. quick. Uh, then you have uh, Pinhead finally emerges from the Pillar of Souls and the carnage that ensues inside the Boiler Room Club, of course, that we talked about earlier, yeah. where there's all kinds of things happening with chains and flesh tearing and et cetera, et cetera. So that scene was, yeah, the, definitely the goriest overall scene in the movie. More carnage after bath in the Boiler Room whenever Joey arrives there and she's, like we talked about, there's a body outside and then she walks inside past all the other you know, torn up bodies and whatnot, but you're basically just seeing the aftermath from early. And then there's the, uh, the random guys in the street where the Cenobites make their appearance. And then, you know, one's launching, like we said, launching the CDs and the, in the people's heads. <laughs> doc, the doc Cenobite shooting his zoom lens eye through heads. I don't remember the, uh, the barbed wire guy doing too much gory carnage. He, he blew up, you know, they, they threw the gasoline or whatever on the, yeah. On those police officers. It's the Cenobite that happens to have the handy can of gas that he just carries around with him as he shoots flames out of his mouth. And that guy, yeah. Another random guy on the street gets, oh yeah, we talked about that, getting the zoom lens through the eye and the CD Cenobite. Then you have the end, well not the very end, but the church scene that we mentioned earlier where Pinhead makes the priest uh, eat a chunk of his body in the like the black mass scene, which was uh, pretty nasty. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so, uh, there's like little entrails of his brain coming out when he pulls the pins out of his head, like yeah, those little, yeah, I didn't mention that, but yeah, those little uh, worm things yeah, or whatever. Yeah, the whatever the hell, that, brain worms. Yeah, and he impales his hand with those big long needles or whatever, yeah. and the worms in it. So yeah, this is, uh, you know, it's gory for the time period, but not as gory, as I said, as the second movie, or even, you know, not quite as gory as the first one, maybe. I think I'll go with a, I'll go with a seven. Yeah, and a good portion of that, like we've talked about, was toward that back end, like the last 20, 30 minutes. That's yeah, where you get yeah. The, yeah, the most goriest end. stuff, you know, like. Yeah, there's a few th- things before that, like that you just went through, but for the most part, it's all backloaded, yeah. you know. So before we uh, leave Hellraiser three in the dust, um, I will mention on IMDb it got a rating of five point four out of ten stars, and the Metascore is fifty. Remember their scale is like zero to one hundred. Yeah. So five point four out of ten and fifty, so mid, right? That's uh, yeah, very similar over on Rotten Tomatoes. The Tomato Meter actually gave this one. Surprisingly high for me, in my opinion, honestly, 42%. You know, I figured it'd be a little lower for, you know, this, for this one, but 42%. And the audience score is even worse. It's 35% over on Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, just to make note of that, to compare it to what, you know, what we just gave it, it's roughly about the same, you know, mid, you know, basically it's like, well, it's not horrible, but it's mm-hmm. not great either. So, you know, if you like this kind of thing, this is the kind of thing you'll like. All right. So for our next movie that we're going to be doing, we're, we're heading back. Uh, to uh, cannon fodder, our, our one of our favorites, cannon cannon films. You can't you can't ever go wrong, right? Um, and and all, uh, cannon film guide uh, author Austin Trunick, uh, he'll have his little recurring segment uh, on, on the next episode as well. But we're going to be talking about Invasion USA, the Chuck Norris cannon films classic. Now, obviously, this series we just do cannon films, so it's not it's not horror all the time. I mean, it could be every once in a while. I'm sure we'll dip back in there, but. Canon didn't do a, a massive amount of horror, so 
we kind of mix it up with a lot of their other fare. You know, the, the first one that we did was over the top. So that's about mm-hmm. as opposite from horror as you get, right? <laughs> Unless sure. the foobar guy scared the hell out of you. It's not a horror movie. Um, and this one's uh, probably a little bit more juicy, wouldn't you say? Smoke, other, especially when compared to over the top, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely compared to that one, yeah. But anyways, yeah, so uh, that'll be the next episode. Invasion USA, the Chuck Norris uh, canon cult classic. I'll read the brief synopsis because this, this is all you need to know. A one-man army. I mean, that's Chuck Norris. Did we even have to put that in a sentence? (laughs) A one-man army comes to the rescue of the United States when a spy attempts an invasion. So we figured what better way. We didn't even put up a poll this time. We figured what better way to celebrate Memorial Day (laughs) than going straight to to Mr. Norris himself uh, to help us out next week. So can't go wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So enjoy, uh, you know, uh, make sure you, uh, when you're cooking out and you're having your hot dogs and hamburgers and watching fireworks and everything next Memorial Day, come back Monday at 6 p.m. East to listen to Invasion USA or the next day, you know, if you're still in the patriotic mood, whatever. Uh, we got you covered. So then right after that, though, we'll be starting Camp Spook Show. So we'll have, we'll have more and more details over on Deadline Horror News and uh, over on Patreon and the video minisodes about what's to come over there. So if you want to learn more about that, come check us out on YouTube and everything but you know we'll let you in on the latest definitely by uh the end of the invasion uh, usa episode we'll have more information on that because it starts right after that so uh lots lots to come here this summer for the spook show so um you know we're i know we're all looking forward to it and hopefully will is back next week for uh, uh invasion usa i know that's one that he wants to do so all right guys i guess that we'll call it a night so uh we, we've said it enough so for For Will, who couldn't be with us, Donnie, Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.